when you have an audience that's that non-diverse, you get into a lot of competition problems, you get in a lot of acquisition problems, you get into a lot of sort of artificial ceilings as far as how big the business can get. And I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what are adjacent markets that are sort of similar, that have similar, you know, properties to, to sports betting that just aren't as homogenous as sports betting itself is. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 40 of the Betting Startups podcast with Nick from Big Brain Games. This episode is also the first of what will be several over the next few months where we welcome a guest host to pinch hit for me. And for this first one, I'm thrilled to welcome back former podcast guest Lloyd Danzig, who does a phenomenal job interviewing Nick in what has instantly become one of my favorite episodes so far. But before I introduce you to Lloyd as your host for this episode, I want to remind you that the betting industry's early stage ecosystem is more active than ever, and the Betting Startups newsletter is the easiest way to keep your finger on the pulse of it all. Once a month, I send a roundup of the funding announcements, product launches, and new partnerships that matter from the most promising startups in the game. The 15 seconds it takes you to subscribe will be the highest ROI use of your time today, so subscribe now at news.bettingstartups.com. All right, we are back with episode 40 of the Betting Startups podcast. And this episode's a little bit different than any I've done before, primarily due to the fact that for the first time ever, I'm handing the microphone over to a guest host. And that guest host is none other than Lloyd Danzig from Sharp Alpha Advisors, a previous guest on the podcast. Lloyd, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me and uh, excited to be the first of what I expect will be many guest hosts on, uh, on this podcast series. Absolutely. Well, you set the bar pretty high here. Really looking forward to this conversation that you've had with Nick and wondering if you can just lead us into the conversation and tell folks listening a little bit about what they're about to uh, listen to here. Yeah. So uh, Nick's background and story speaks for himself. He is the dream entrepreneur that a VC looks to invest in from my perspective. You'll hear a lot more about it during the conversation, but the short of it is the guy went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with a specific dollar amount in mind that if he won, would enable him to quit his job and start a company. He reached that amount of money, walked away, went into his job, quit the next day, founded a company, sold that company to FanDuel, was chief product officer for Fan of FanDuel for a few years, and then decided it was time to start something new. And, and I was quite fortunate to be able to be involved as an investor um, and as an informal advisor to, to the company. And uh, I'm a big fan of the app. I, I often tell people there's no better advertisement for this company than just downloading the app itself. If you like trivia, if you like brain games, if you're confident in your abilities enough to put some money on the line, I highly recommend downloading the Big Brain app and checking it out uh, alongside this podcast while you're listening. It'll, it'll give some great context. Well, it's a hell of a story. Nick has a crazy journey, as you've just alluded to. You did a fantastic job stepping in as guest host. So thank you very much for doing that. And with that, let's get into the episode. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. I'm Lloyd Danzig, jumping in for Jesse here today as a, a guest host on the Betting Startups podcast. I run a venture capital firm, Sharp Alpha Advisors, that specializes in sports betting and online gaming. Uh, but that hopefully will be the extent of talking about myself that I do for today uh, here with with a good friend, uh, Nick Bonadio from from Big Brain and really, really excited for you guys to hear a bit about what he's doing now, as well as as what his path was previously, because I think especially based on the audience of this show, uh, those will be topics of great interest. So 
like I said, let me quiet down a bit and, and turn it over to you, Nick. Tell us just uh, to get started a bit about yourself, your background. Please be sure to include any particular uh, sports team allegiances and, and we'll go from there. Cool. Well, well, first things first, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. Uh, it's always good to do something other than send an email all day. Uh, yeah. So hi, everyone. I'm Nick. My background. So I'm from the greatest sports city on earth, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so any injuries out there, you know, help you, uh, I'll give you a shout out in particular, best sports fans on earth. Uh, yeah. So, you know, born and raised in Pittsburgh. So Steelers, Pirates, Penguins, obviously. I, I'm a big Pitt guy. Uh, the city of Pittsburgh is sometimes kind of split between Penn State and Pitt, but I'm I'm totally Pitt. And yeah, so like my background, like a lot of other people in the startup industry, ex-engineer. Uh, so, you know, went to Carnegie Mellon, studied computer science, um, you know, pretty normal kind of startup background from that. But I always knew I wanted to work in sports. You know, like if you're a sports fan, you know, the dream is always to go work at Bristol for ESPN or, you know, like go do something in that space. Um with that said, I, I never wanted to go be, you know, one engineer of a thousand at some big company. So, um, you know, I just wanted to work for a startup as well. So it's, it's been a pretty fun ride, but I've, I've gotten to, to work for a lot of cool companies and, and start a lot of cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's been really fun. Let's, uh, dig into that, uh, a bit. I, you know, for the audience's sake, you guys will notice, I, I know a bit more about, uh, Nick's background than some of my questions will give evidence to, and hopefully that's for the audience's benefit. Uh, I know you had a, an interesting stop along the journey that at least helped you fund uh, some of your initial endeavors. Uh, can you tell us a, a bit about that? And then we'll we'll segue into your, your first venture. Yeah. Um, and I think it was 2010. So it's been a while now, but like um, I was on to Once Be a Millionaire, the, the TV game show. Uh, this was prime time. This was with Regis. I think it was their 10th anniversary special or something like that. And it was totally random. Like all I was doing was I, I was reading some some article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and at the bottom of sort of the, the, the web page that I was reading said, you know, millionaires coming back, click here to, to audition. And the audition wasn't an audition the same way you think of like a movie being an audition. It was really, you call a 1-800 number and they ask you a couple questions um, over the phone that you answer with a touchstone. And, you know, so I answered the questions and I, I guess I got the questions right. And they said, okay, well, you're in the random contestant poll. We'll give you a call in a couple months if you're selected to be in the show. And so I probably forgot about it. And then, you know, yeah, a couple months later, I get this, this call from ABC being like, hey, you're on the show. You know, it tapes in August. I'm like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was, I, I totally forgotten about it. And it was just so surreal. Like, you know, the studio itself that they, they filmed it in is like so much smaller in real life than it is on TV. Like it's, it's you know, it's it's like the size of a, like a kitchen almost. It, like, it, it, and then there's Regis who's there and like, you know, Regis isn't around anymore, but, you know, Regis was a super great guy and, you know, I'm six five and he's like five two. And so like, there was like, they had to kind of like adjust the camera angles a lot. <laughs> and um, it was just pretty fun. But yeah, you know, I won $100,000 in the show and it was, you know, I'd gone into it knowing that this was kind of my, my big chance. You know, one of the things that's kind of true about startups is that a lot of people who start companies, you know, have a lot of family money. Like the idea of a friends and family round, that's kind of a trope in the startup world, but, it, but it's true. Like it's a lot easier to start a company if you've got, you know, a lot of support behind you. You know, I love my family, but I grew up, you know, middle-class in Pittsburgh. And so, 
the idea of her friends and family around wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, I went into the millionaire taping thinking, okay, you know, I need enough money to go and quit my job and put a prototype together for what eventually became number fire. And so I, I generally sort of reasoned out that I would need about $50,000 to do that. And so when I got to the hundred thousand level, um, on millionaire, you know, knowing that taxes were going to be about 50%, you could like see it. like, um, it's on YouTube. Like once I got to a hundred thousand, I sort of like took a big sigh of relief because I knew at that point I had gotten enough money to do what I wanted to do. And so the very next question, I actually walked away. So like, I, I, I didn't risk it or anything like that. So I got the hundred thousand government took half. So I'm sitting with 50,000. I literally uh, quit my job the very next day. So the taping was, you know, an all day taping, go to my job, 9 a.m. the next day, walk right into my boss's office, say I'm out. Uh, and, and I left to start big brain or uh, to start number fire. <laughs> we'll get to big brain. Dude, I've been spending a ton. Of it's time. on the brain. Like, it's I've been, like, I've, I've, I've said it so much that like, uh, <laughs> it's on my job. I spend a ton of time on the app, but number fire, some of the audience might say, oh, of course, number fire. That's that company that FanDuel bought. Other people might be less familiar. Tell us, just, just pick up where you left off. Uh, the story is yeah. awesome as is. Tell us the next couple of steps from there and, and maybe all the way up to, you know, being acquired by FanDuel and being absorbed by that organization. Yeah, well, I mean, for everyone who's listening who has heard of and used Number Fire, let me say thank you. Uh, if you haven't used it, what are you doing? Like, get your act together. But yeah, so so Number Fire was an idea like I've had pretty much all my life. Um, you know, being a math guy, being a sports guy, you know, I'm always interested in the numbers and sort of the like the science behind what happens in a sporting match. Really, the idea around Number Fire was you had this money ball revolution that was happening, but it was really contained within front offices. And on the other side of it, you've got 30, 40, 50 million people who play fantasy sports. And, you know, those those fantasy sports players, they also need the best information. They also need uh, the best analysis. And, you know, so much of the analysis of fantasy sports at that time was so qualitative. It was very much like, I think this, I think that. And the reality is like sports is the most data-driven industry there is. Like if you compare it to finance or real estate or anything else that we traditionally think of as being very quantitative, you know, sports is way more data involved in sports than either of those, those businesses by, by a huge amount. And so you have all of these, all this information um, and that it, it, it didn't seem like anyone was really sort of doing like a money ball for a fantasy sports type idea. Said another way, like I was kind of building it for myself, right? Because like I wanted to win my own fantasy league and I, and I got tired of sort of like reading, you know, I think this, I think that. So that was the general idea of Numberfire. Um, you know, I, it just was this, this thing I had to go and do. We got a little bit of VC financing for it, like not much, you know, being a first time, first time founder. And, you know, at the idea, or like, you know, like when I was pitching it, you know, the idea of sort of like, hey, I'm going to money ballify fantasy sports. You know, this was in 2010. So like, you know, we were easily five or six years ahead of the market. Like, you know, you look at what PFF is doing, you look at what, you know, RotoQL did and like a lot of those other companies, you know, we were years before those guys. And that's not me sort of bragging. That's just me sort of just saying, look, like, you know, the, the funding environments, the ecosystem wasn't really there for us at the time. So anyway, we raised a small amount of BC funding. We grew it to about 2 million in revenue and probably like three to 4 million uniques a month. And then we, we kind of got into a ceiling where, you know, it was kind of unclear what was next. Like, 
it was clear this wasn't going to be like a Facebook. It wasn't going to be like a huge company. Um, and so taking more funding didn't really seem like the right thing to do. And so, you know, we started looking around for, for, for companies that made sense, that could really use a lot of our IP, you know, and then Dave and Egmond and, 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 and FanDuel came along. And basically, you know, it made so much sense to work with FanDuel just because FanDuel, you know, had all these users that, that needed analysis, that needed advice that needed, you know, some kind of quantitative help. We needed access and users. And so, yeah, like to this day, like, you know, a lot of number fire IP underpins, you know, a lot of FanDuel's backends, you know, player props, things like that. But yeah, we sold the company to FanDuel. I think that was 2014, maybe 2015. Like it's so long ago. Like a lot of these, these days kind of run together. And then, yeah, my team came over uh, and then, you know, I was at FanDuel for four years and, you know, was the, chief product officer for for a majority of that and you know running the product team at FanDuel was 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 awesome and you know such a such an interesting couple of years of my life because that that was during the whole Eric Schneiderman thing and then the DraftKings merger that didn't happen and then we got bought by Patty Power Betfair which is now Flutter uh, and then Passway got repealed and so those four years at FanDuel were like combat years in a lot of ways but you know really taught me so much about how to run a business and you know, like just the, 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 the ins and outs of sort of operating a business in the real money space. I love that you have almost the entire arc of what for some people could be a, a lifetime's worth of experience <laughs> going to who wants to be a millionaire, targeting the exact amount of money that you need, winning that amount, quitting your job the next day, using that money to start a company, scaling that company up to multiple millions in revenue selling that company to a market leader in space, becoming a C-level executive at that company. Uh, and yet that only really is kind of almost in some ways the start of, of your journey. Obviously, through whatever combination of factors, you eventually decided you'd had enough of this big company thing and wanted to you know, be back in, in, in a startup and entrepreneur's shoes again. I'll just say I I'm involved in over 25 different companies in the space right now. And obviously I've looked at hundreds, if not thousands. And of course I love them all equally, but if you ask me the question, what app that I have invested in, do I spend the most time on per week? Uh, the answer for the past months uh, is unequivocally big brain. Uh, it is where I spend a, a ton of my time. I enjoy it thoroughly. I would just love to first have you talk for a minute or two about that decision process to go start from scratch again. And then let's just segue into a, a bit more about Big Brain. But yeah, if first you could start with that decision-making process, I think yeah. that, that's really fascinating. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, like being a, a, a big-time C-level exec at a company like FanDuel is great, right? Yeah, you get tickets to the All-Star game and everyone's kissing their ass. And like, <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff is great. But look, you know, like, you know, I love Matt King and Andy G and Christian and those guys like, you know, like they're such good dudes and, you know, like that experience meant so much to me in so many ways. But I was always pretty aware that that I was a little bit of an odd man out, you know, like I, I'm not the sport jacket wearing type. I'm not the sit at a boardroom type. Like that's just not who I am. And I think when a company is smaller, that works, right? You can have someone that's different, thinks differently, you know, like I, I can be pretty hard-headed around product and what I think is the right direction and they're kind of uncompromising about, about some things. And so, you know, I think once FanDuel got sufficiently large and 
a lot of the the growth story for FanDuel became about, you know, betting and state-by-state rollouts. It just became a little clear to me that I wanted something a little more innovative. And that's not to say that I don't think FanDuel is an innovative company because they absolutely are. But I think, you know, someone who's a startup person, I think who's listening to this will automatically kind of get where I'm coming from. At the end of the day, like I, I kind of wanted to explore some new ideas. I wanted to kind of get back to the craziness of startups and, you know, for better or for worse, that this wasn't going to happen within the context of Fandle. And so the genesis of Big Brain re- really came from a lot of the user conversations I had during my time at Fandle. You know, it's it's not a secret to anyone who's listening to this this podcast that sports betting and, you know, DFS, that's 95% men you know, very, very homogenous of an audience. And when you have an audience that's that non-diverse, you get into a lot of competition problems, you get in a lot of acquisition problems, you get into a lot of sort of artificial ceilings as far as how big the business can get. And I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what are adjacent markets that are sort of similar, that have similar, you know, properties to, to sports betting that just aren't as homogenous as sports betting itself is. Concurrently, this was right around the time in which HQ Trivia was was very, very big and skills was was kind of on the come up. Um, and I really, really like that space. I think, you know, that entire category of, of call them brain games, whether it's, you know, New York Times crosswords or Sporkle or Learned League, you know, these are really massive consumer businesses that kind of fly under the radar. Like people don't realize New York Times Crosswords has like 800,000 subscribers. Like that's a very, very big revenue line for New York Times as a company. And it's so heterogeneous and it's like the retention is ridiculous. You know, it's a really, really great business to be in and it's kind of underserved. And if you think about it, you know, like Crosswords and Trivia and all those games, like those are skill games. Like no one would say that Ken Jennings isn't skillful at what he does. And so I was like, well, geez, like HQ Trivia showed that people love these kind of games. Now, HQ Trivia died because they didn't have a business model to attach to it, you know, but because it's a game of skill, you can attach the same business model of sports betting, of DFS, to all of these games, to Trivia, to Crosswords, to Sudoku, to Wordle, and you can tap into this, like this, this really heterogeneous, really sticky, really high household income audience um, and you know, get all of the benefits of the business model, the, the high efficiency business model, with the upside of just how large that TAM is on the audience side. And so it was kind of obvious to me, like, it, like maybe it's not so obvious, like to, to, you know, to sort of, you know, as I talk about it, maybe there's some people out there who are like, I don't understand what the hell this guy's talking about. But to me, when I sort of thought about it and unpacked it, like it seemed like it was pretty obvious and the market itself seemed kind of inevitable. Um, and, you know, Fandle was never going to do it, right? Like, you know, even though I, I was, you know, like in theory, ran the product team at FanDuel and, and set the direction, we weren't going to move off of sports betting as an opportunity. So, you know, I kind of fell in love with this as an idea. And I knew that if I wanted to go explore it, I, I kind of had to leave. For anyone uh, for whom it's not obvious as it was to you, or, or perhaps, you know, for whom it just would be easier to make this a bit more tangible, tell us what uh, we would find if we opened up uh, the Big Brain app today. I suggest everyone listening to just download the app because it is a fantastic uh, app with a great user interface that is a ton of fun to play. But uh, for those who are lazier or who are just not going to do it, can you paint the picture for us? What can I do if I download Big Brain today? Yeah, so we have three games inside of our platform. And so, you know, like we think of ourselves as a 
platform, not a trivia app, not a games app, but a platform. So, you know, you download the app and you can play a variety of games. And so there's, there's trivia. So, you know, at, at eight o'clock today on Big Rain, you could play 80s hip hop trivia. Then after that, there's National Parks trivia. There's Doctor Who. There's Peyton Manning, 90s music, zombies movies. So we have this live, real-time, you know, competitive tournament-style trivia that's happening every 15 minutes. And so, you know, think of it as like a mashup between DFS and trivia. In addition to that, we've got a second game called 200. 200 is more of like a family feud type, type game. So it's about surveys. It's not necessarily about raw trivia. And then we have a third game called Blocks, which is uh, sort of a mashup between Tetris and Boggle. But the idea is that you know, anytime, 24 hours a day, you can come in and find someone to challenge in trivia or to play a game of blocks against. And it's, you know, it's, it's no different than playing Madden or playing Call of Duty. But instead of like sort of these, these giant console games, it's these small little brain games that allow you to kind of flex your knowledge um, and win money at the same time. And so I'm sure there's someone out there who's listening who thinks like, man, I know so much about 90s music or pro quarterbacks or, you know, French literature or, or, or who knows. And so yeah, that's the idea. I think, you know, we always want to give someone, um, you know, something fun to do. So anytime you download the app, you know, you can find someone to play a game against. I think one of the, you know, the, the things that is harder to do than it might seem uh, at first glance, but, but that you guys have done really well is structuring the trivia contests to have questions of the proper levels of, of difficulty. I, I, there was a week, uh, two or three weeks ago, you guys had a Seinfeld, South Park, Breaking Bad and Family Guy all within one week. And those are all like my <laughs> top shows that nice. I know the best. Uh, and I played those and I had a ton of fun and, and was, was one of the top, uh, you know, money winners in each. But as soon as you get outside of the shows that I have watched, you know, 30,000 times on repeat, it is hard. It, you really have to know your stuff, you know, I think to, to compete well. But as long as you have any familiarity with the topic, it's always going to be fun. Uh, and I would just add for for any clarity of the audience, when Nick says that it's, you know, a bit of a mix of trivia and DFS, typically the way it's structured is you're competing in a pool of people to answer 12 trivia questions over about a 10, 15 minute period. And similar DFS contests, either half the people in the lobby double their money and half come away with nothing, or you have a tiered prize pool structure, uh, just like people will, you know, undoubtedly be familiar with from uh, Daily Fantasy would highly suggest checking out the app, finding a topic that you think you know well, uh, and, and then really, really having that having that tested. You know, Nick, one of the things I, I don't know uh, how much you can discuss publicly or how much exactly is confidential. One of the things that I find very impressive about this, even for a second venture, is that there's a lot of companies in this space that have raised money from various in investors, but only a small subset have raised money from top tier, highly reputable VC firms that don't at all specialize in real money gaming. Uh, you certainly, I think, have, have broken from that, that mold a bit and, and raised from fantastic, you know, cross industry, industry agnostic uh, investors. If you could, I'm sure people would love to know a bit about who is on your cap table and who you've raised money from. And if you can say, and then even if you can, if, if you could maybe just elaborate a bit on what you did the second time around to raise the the funding in a way that I'm sure a lot of you know listeners would love to succeed in. 
Yeah. No, like, uh, I mean, one, like, thank you for that description. Like, I think, you know, I just said you out on pitches instead of me because that was <laughs> that was even better than I could do. So thank you. And yeah, I mean, it was interesting the second time around when I went to go and 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 raise funds for Big Brain because for better or for worse, like once you have an exit, like in your background, it, it does become easier. Introductions are warmer the second time around. <laughs> so yeah, you know, like we went out to raise the seed rounds. Uh, you know, like that was a little bit by design. You know, like I, I wanted to work with a more general focused firm as opposed to a betting specific one, not necessarily because, you know, of, of anything other than I knew that this was going to be a capital intensive business as we grew. And so if I look at with the series A, series B, like, you know, like b- both FanDuel and DraftKings, like, like they raised in the hundreds of millions, right? Like a large, like a large, large, uh, you know, funding history. And so if you start off with investors who can, you know, keep their pro rata, can follow along all the way up, like I think it starts you from a default state of, of you know, like being in a better place as you grow. And some of that's kind of inside baseball to the VC world. So it, like, I apologize if some of you out there who only care about betting are kind of, you know, <laughs> bored right now. But well, you know what I mean when I say that. Uh, of course. And so, yeah, so we work with First Round Capital and Box Group and Ludlow and Golden Ventures. And, you know, they're really, really great partners. And they they actually help me think about the market, not necessarily in the terms that I know. Like, I know the gaming audience front to back. Like, that's that's what I've lived in the past decade. You know, they don't know that, but, but they know giant consumer apps. You know, First Round's portfolio, I mean, Uber... I mean, so many home runs that they understand huge businesses, but in a different way. And so having a different voice, a different perspective is is actually super helpful. Like, I, I don't want to surround myself with people who think exactly like me, because then I don't come up with the best decisions. Um, and so that was some of the logic around some of the fundraising that we did. With that said, you know, like, obviously, I brought you on and, you know, Dave from Better Capital and... Manny Perlman and a lot of like individual angels that that are really, really great. And so it is important to have a good mix. Like if you also want some industry knowledge just from a, you know, from an MA perspective, from a partnerships perspective, that's always helpful. But yeah, like I think, you know, I like to think of myself sometimes as like the most insider outsider around. And like I can be inside in a lot of ways. Like I know our industry front to back in in such a deep way, but like I don't really like to go to conferences and like, I don't really like to, you know, speak on panels. I mean, this is fine, but like, I think, you know what I mean? Like I'm not a big schmoozer type guy. And so, you know, I like to sort of just, you know, like chill in my lane and build products and, you know, but, it, but it does help to have some people on the cap table who do have that skill set. So the people um, listening to this might know a dude named Adam Kaplan. Um, Adam Kaplan is uh, the CEO or the COO of SportsGrid. But he was my right-handed man at Numbers Fire. And like Cap was like such a perfect match for me. Like he would go and do all the boring shit I didn't want to do. And so that let me, you know, go and build the product and like, you know, kind of stay in my lane. And, you know, he would be the one that would that would go to the the happy hours and all that stuff after conferences and things like that. So it's always good to have, like, long story short, it's always good to have a mix of, of different skill sets and experiences in your cap table. I'm sure some of the people who are more like Adam would laugh at you referring to happy hours and parties as boring and building product and writing code as the not boring part. <laughs> but that's exactly that yin and yang that you're talking about here. And 
I'll say from the investor perspective, I, I absolutely uh, see that all the time, finding that right balance uh, so people can focus on what they love and what energizes them and you know, stay in that lane and bring that into a, a cohesive uh, business plan and, and execute you know, as the company grows. Th those are often uh, a lot of the most successful stories. I, I think we're running up on, on our time here, Nick, but maybe in the last couple of minutes, if you tell us about what does the future look like uh, for Big Brain? And then if there's anything I forgot to ask that you would like to answer, uh, feel free to layer that in as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the future for Big Brain is super, super bright. I think, you know, we've established, you know, a couple of different games in our platform. There's always new games to build. And so I think that we want to get into a place where we're launching a new game inside of our platform every couple of months. You know, <laughs> everyone always asks us, like, are we going to do our spin on Wordle? Are we going to maybe take a whack at crosswords or Sudoku. Those answers are maybe. Like, I think we're always tinkering. We're always trying new things. But yeah, like, I think you'll start to see us be a little more extroverted as a company. I think, you know, we spent a lot of our initial, you know, time focusing on the platform, doing the engineering, doing a lot of product stuff. And so I think you'll start to see us do some partnerships, start to expand, um, you know, a lot of our, our outreach quite a bit. Uh, we have like no social presence, like not really. Um, and so I think, yeah, like I think next couple of years are going to be about just just growing and building new games, being a little more extroverted, some partnerships. And then, yeah, we'll see where we're at. But, you know, like to me, it's super exciting because, you know, at the end of the day, like what could be more fun than building out a games company? Like, you know, I already built out the sports company and now like, you know, now I'm doing a games company. Like I could never go start like a, a real estate company or like <laughs> a fintech company. Like that's just not how I am. Like games and sports, sports and games. Like that's just sort of, you know, it, like what could be better than that? And then I do have a couple of investors who always ask me, like, you know, like, what's the end goal here? Like, what are you driving towards? And I think it's it's relevant to this industry. And so, like, I'll just tell people what my goal is. My goal is to buy the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like, that's why I'm doing this. Like, I'm going to grow this to be so large that I'm going to buy the Pittsburgh Pirates because, you know, me being a Yinzer, huge, like, you know, like all the teams at Pittsburgh, they're my teams. The Pirates are the most badly managed badly misowned team in all of professional sports like it, it, it's a crime what bob nutting has done to the pirates and pittsburgh deserves a winner pittsburgh deserves like a, a team that is that is worthy of the loyalty and and sort of passion of its sports fans and so my goal in this is to grow it so large that i go to bob nutting and make him a godfather offer and say hey like you're done and then i take over the pirates bob nutting is never spoken of again and sort of <laughs> that's the big goal so um so i have to ask the absolute last question we will cover here what will be the first decision made as owner of the pittsburgh pirates i will dramatically decrease tickets and concession prices i happen to believe that all franchises should run as nonprofits. and so look like if you're rich enough to own a team you're rich enough to not need that money and so you know, I would go out of my way to run the team as a nonprofit. Every dollar that comes in via gate or via concession or via revenue sharing will go back into the team. I, I would want to make it very clear to anyone who follows the team that I'm not looking at it as an investment. I'm not looking at it as a way to accrue personal wealth. I'm looking at it as a way to bring glory to the city. And so that would be, I'd be very, very clear to all Pittsburgh fans that that's the way I was going to operate it. Um, and if that runs me afoul of other owners, too bad. Nick, you are a man with a plan. Everyone, <laughs> thank you for joining us. You just heard from Nick Benadio, former 
who wants to be a millionaire champion, founder of Number Fire, chief product officer of FanDuel, future owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and most importantly, currently the founder and CEO of Big Brain. Highly recommend you download the app and check it out. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. And, and thanks a lot, everyone, for listening. Thank you. I appreciate it.